I'm Charlie Mount. And I'm Jeff Rack. We are the co-artistic directors of Arcane Theater Works, based here in Los Angeles, California. And this is our new podcast where we discuss the weird and fantastical worlds of sci-fi, horror, mystery, and fantasy. Welcome to... Invasion of the Pod People. In print, on stage, and on screen, there have been countless interpretations of that modern Prometheus, that original mad scientist, that alchemist in galvanism and lightning, Frankenstein. In this multi-episode series, we dissect, discuss, compare, and contrast some of the best and least known versions of Mary Shelley's immortal story. Joining us in our discussion is our special guest, monster artist Phil Joyce. The show is being recorded outdoors at the historic Zorthian Ranch in Altadena, California. The Many Faces of Frankenstein, Episode 1, In the Beginning. In an indirect but substantial way, Frankenstein was born of a profoundly monstrous natural tragedy. In 1815, a volcanic eruption in Indonesia killed 100,000 people. The resulting ash and dust circled the earth, plunging much of the world into fog and frost for three years, contributing to epidemics, political revolts, and famine. It was the deadliest volcanic eruption in history. And it was in the middle of this miserable epoch that a 17-year-old young woman named Mary Shelley came to a rented mansion on the shores of Lake Geneva with her husband Percy, their friend Lord Byron, and Byron's physician John Polidori. Trapped indoors by the preternatural cold, the miserable vacationers busied themselves by reading German ghost stories. One day, Byron declared that they would all engage in a writing contest to see who could write the best ghost story of all. Well, that evening, as young Mary Shelley looked out upon the lake, the mountains echoing with thunder and lightning, she had a vision. I saw, she said, the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out, and then, on the working of some powerful engine, show signs of life. One year later, Mary published her novel, which she called her hideous progeny, Frankenstein, or the modern Prometheus. A story that asks what happens when men play God. Considered the first science fiction novel, it has inspired countless retellings and interpretations for over 200 years. Uh, that was a dramatic opening, huh? You like that? Yeah. That was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Volcanoes, Volcanoes and everything? Yeah, well, you know, this is a creation story, so you're going back to the beginning of time. Exactly. I like pretty that. much, pretty much, yeah. Um, but before we get into a discussion of the book, uh, let's just mention where we are. We are outdoors. We are. We are at the uh, historic Zorthian Ranch in Altadena, California. And uh, this is sort of an artistic commune. We have uh, artists all around. So you may hear some interesting noises in the background. You may hear some stone cutting or... Uh, <laughs> uh, cows mooing. Cows mooing. Sheep, yeah. Sheep Chicken. Chickens. Yeah. There's a llama. What do llamas do? Do they bleat? What do llamas yeah, do? Yeah, the llama actually is doesn't exist anymore. So Oh, it doesn't? Yeah, oh, he, well, there used to be a llama here. There used to be a llama. We're, we're planning on getting a llama again. But, um, okay. Isn't there a drum symbol? Mounted? Yeah, yeah. The other day I was thinking, uh, telling Chris, I go, man, it sounds like a cymbal. 
there it is right there. Oh, that was it, yeah. And I, and, and I went out there when it was blowing like it is today, and uh, there's a, somebody tied a symbol to a tree. Oh, so, that's oh, that's good. Yeah, right by you know. Yeah, so it actually was a symbol. You know, yeah. so I, you know, I'm waiting for the rest of the band to arrive. You know? so, somebody, some artist woke up and said, "What, what could I create that would be more annoying <laughs> than anything?" Exactly. A symbol tied to a tree <laughs> on the top of a mountain where it gets very windy. Thank you very much. That's a good idea. But you know, um, that that kind of a little quick segue into a little uh, the music thing is. Um, Charlie Parker performed up here one night, a famous, uh, infamous party called the Wildest Party in Los Angeles. Look it up. Oh, wow. uh, and a lot of interesting people have, have uh, been through here, if not necessarily lived here. But that's where we're at. That's where we're at. And, uh, and uh, we also want to introduce our, um, our guest today, Phil Joyce. Phil, yeah. Phil is a good friend of mine, and he's a, uh, a, a monster kid like Charlie and I. Grew up uh, with the classic horror monsters, and, uh, you know, also he's an amazing uh, uh, Painter, uh, portrait painter of uh, he loves to do portraits of the classic horror monsters. So uh, mm-hmm. you know you can go to uh, his site. We'll give that to you at the end, and uh, you can see his paintings. Welcome, Phil. Thank you. Thank for, thanks for having me. And it's always fun to talk about monsters. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> what you, can be you, more um, fun? Have you actually have you read the book? The um... I well I I actually was in a in an English class in college, and we were required to read it, and I didn't finish reading it, unfortunately. <laughs> it's a it's but, a slog to yeah, get through, isn't it? I mean, it's uh, a bit of a. You know, I mean, it's. I've read I've read it, but it's been a while. It's yeah. it's an interest. It's, when you say slog, it's interesting because, um, for those of you who've never read the book Frankenstein or the Modern Prometheus, it's mm-hmm. it's much different than any uh, film version you've ever seen, including the one that was supposed to be uh, very close to the book, which was Kenneth Braga's, Kenneth Braga. you know, which he, he took oh, a lot yeah. of liberties. But uh, yes, the book she uh, she spends a lot of time uh, with travelogue stuff. You know, the, there's like pages and pages of descriptions of mountains and forests and the lovely trees and and everything. And, and for for it's all interesting, but you kind of want to get to the gore. You know, yeah. you want to get to. The, <laughs> yeah, that's but my problem. you start to understand that it's very important that that's there because she's mm-hmm. using it as a very important literary illusion. She's saying that the monster Frankenstein and Walton, the captain of the ship. All are either trying to conquer nature, or being subdued by nature, or being right. mollified by nature. In one way or another, mm-hmm. nature is having an effect on them. When Frankenstein is feeling upset, he goes to the, he goes to the like like Maria in Sound of Music. She, he goes to the hills, right. and the monster too. The monster finds uh, uh, refuse and and joy in nature. But on the other hand, there are also ice caves and wolves and all kinds of terrible things. So hmm. she's using it very much as as a metaphor. There's a lot of it. She goes on for pages and pages and pages about them. Now, think about the most interesting part of every Frankenstein film. It's the actual creation of the monster, <laughs> right. the moment right. where the monster's created. But in, in the, the novel... Book, in the novel, <laughs> it's about four or five sentences. Right. Right. I wow. mean, I mean, there's lots, of, there's lots of talk about he's gathering together the, the dismembered corpses, and they talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the science of the day, about... Um, um, galvanism, galvanism, right. and, and spontaneous evolution, and all this sort of thing. Hmm. Uh, but the actual moment where she creates the monster, just it's a paragraph. Oop, there paragraph. it is. But more, <laughs> but more about the trees. Yeah. Let me tell you some more about the trees. So. <laughs> the one thing she doesn't describe is the is the set pieces that the movies go crazy with, which is yes, just funny. Yes, which they should have. I mean, it's a visual medium, and you know, oh, they those, have those to. are those yeah. the most incredible well, moments. I wonder what kind of preparation she had writing the book. 
you know, she was an 18-year-old girl growing up in England, and, you know, what kind of preparation she had uh, scientifically, Ah, you know. Well, that's interesting. Um, as, a, as far as the science goes, uh, there was a lot of discussion during the day about um, spontaneous evolution um, and the experiments of Darwin. Not Charles Darwin, but his grandfather, mm. Erasmus Darwin. Oh. Erasmus? Um, Erasmus. Wow. Good name. As a matter of fact, she makes, a, she makes an error in the book when she talks about some of uh, Darwin's uh, scientific um, uh, experiments. She mentions that he experiments with uh, uh, vermicelli. Mm -hmm. she, she gets the word wrong. It's, it's really vorticelle, I think is how it's pronounced. I don't really know. Uh, she's, he, he experimented with these microscopic aquatic filaments that live in lead gutters, not with spaghetti. So she, she got that a little wrong. Boy, that, the Italians were pissed. Yes. The Italians were very upset. And you know what? In, in none of the, um, uh, the new editions of the book do they correct it, which is hysterical to me. That's funny. Um, but they, they talked a lot. Of, in fact, during the weekend when they were discussing ghost stories, Mm -hmm. um, Percy and and and, and uh, Lord Byron in right. particular, we're talking yeah. about this a lot. So so this this was very much of of you know of uh, uh, talked about in, in circles at the time. But other inspirations for the book, because you asked about well, you know yeah what 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 her what, what her inspiration was what her medical scientific was. Yeah. well, there was a lot of death in Mary's family. Right, her, her mother died while giving birth to her. Uh, she and Percy had a child that died uh, just before this whole vacation in, in Lake Geneva. Um, there was also uh, uh, Percy's wife before her had committed suicide. Right. So there was a lot of death, and she was yeah. very young. You know. Which wasn't uncommon in those days. People, you know. A lot of people died. She, she people. actually gave birth to five children. Only one of them eventually yeah. made it to adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. Didn't, a daughter, people, right? People didn't live very long. So. Yeah. So there was that. Uh, she was also inspired very much. She had a, um, a free-thinking father. And, you know, her parents were very liberal-minded, although they weren't crazy about Percy to begin with. But uh, And Percy drowned later, didn't he? He drowned later, yeah, but after she wrote the book. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it didn't yes, her. Right? A lot of disaster. You know? yeah. In fact, everybody, uh, <laughs> except right. Mary, who were in part of that little party there, you know, uh, Byron. Pa Polidori committed Polidori suicide, committed too, suicide think, right? And you yeah. know, Byron didn't live much longer. How well, Polidori, how was he, how was he uh, related to this group? I mean, how was, was he just Well, he friends? was uh, Byron's physician. Physician, I Oh, think, he, yeah. was, um, he was his doctor. And I think he was also hot for Mary. Oh. So I think there was a little bit of that uh, going on. I wonder if he gave any kind of medical tips to Mary. I'm sure, writing. I'm sure yeah. he did. I'm sure he did. Well, he yeah. did, he did uh, uh, help her or, or said, you know, help, you know, goaded her on. Polidori did, you know, yes. to, 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 to write yeah, the Yeah, the they, they all contributed quite a bit. A lot of people feel, you know, there's been some discussion that um, the haughtiness of Victor von Frankenstein was really Lord Byron. You know. That makes sense. And, um, and there, there's some discussion about whether or not Percy helped her with some of the prose in, in the book. Yeah, um, what I, I mean, what I've read, though, from people that have looked over the notes and the corrections that were made is that it was, it was no more than like a good editor you know that it, today you yes, know editing exactly. it i mean it's 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 you know once and for all mary shelley wrote frankenstein oh yes oh yes you know and and so let's put that you know Although let's I think, bury that i think she did say one point in the future that he did write the introduction he did write the introduction the first introduction i think yes. yeah right right but otherwise and oh. you know she she did publish the book originally anonymously 
She so did. a lot of people thought it was written by a man. It was 1818, I think, yeah. when the book came out. Well, back then, I mean, you kind of had to do that yeah. to even, to even yeah. get it published. I mean, people wouldn't read it. A women's work. Very well, even much, if they you know, did, you know, why true, would you yeah. read, you know, a, you know, a horror novel by you right. know, a teenager? Right. Well, it was a teenage girl. Yeah. It true. Was, hmm. It was a. It was a lot, you know, that she mm-hmm. had to put up with. But of course, but it was interesting because once I don't think there was a lot of controversy when the second edition came out and her name was on it. I don't think people suddenly just clutched to their pearls and said, "Oh my gosh, a girl wrote this book." I think it yeah. was because it had become hmm. so popular. Well, yeah, it was, it was popular then. Yeah. It was known, but. And then you have the, speaking of that whole uh, meeting of those people, there's the Ken Russell classic Ken Russell's film, film, yes. Uh, Gothic, Gothic yeah. right? Yeah. Which is... Uh, a mostly successful film. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, you know, you know I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's not totally, completely truthful, I guess. And, no, no, and, but you know, what Russell's doing his yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, and there's, and there's a lot of chewing of the scenery. Yeah. I think you they, know, they, but, they kind um, of push Polidori in that with his, uh, you know, Chasing Mary, Mary a bit. Yeah, they they freaked yeah. him. They they made him very freaky in that. Yeah, so, yeah. But that was yeah. Ken Russell. Ken Russell, you know, could could take you know. Yeah. Ken Russell directed the musical <laughs> Annie. You know, there'd be blood. <laughs> there'd be serpents. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you expect that from him. <laughs> the you know? sign will come out. Never. You know, <laughs> it'll just be. <laughs> Yeah. It'll be Ken Russell's movie. Yeah, and Timothy Spall, I guess it was. Was that who that the actor that played um, Polidori? Maybe you know yeah. he was. I mean, could you imagine he, him being your physician? You know that. Oh no, no. Kidding. creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, huh. the interesting part of the book, in terms of the rest of our discussion today, that I, I think is what is it that people have taken from the book over and over and over and over again, and what is it that they've left out right. over and over and over again? Um, and particularly mm-hmm. themes. Like I, I, I think what's interesting is that. Uh, at no point in the book is the monster given an abnormal brain. You know, <laughs> right. at, at no point is Abby the monster. Normal. Yeah, yeah. There's no abnormal, no abnormal <laughs> brain, and uh, at no point is there uh, is the body that of an ex-murderer that was hanged for murder or anything like that. In fact, right. it's not a single body. Yeah. It's a it's a number of dismembered right. corpses. Right. Uh, the agency by which the the, the bro- body's brought to life is not really revealed. In the, in the book for, uh, for good reason uh, the reason so why does the monster then seek out vengeance against Frankenstein and the reason is in, in the book hmm. um, is that he, when he's born when he's created he comes to life he's not good he's not evil he's simply alive mm-hmm. and the second the second Frankenstein looks upon him he's horrified yeah right uh, she doesn't just overly describe the monster but he is hulking and huge and yellow eyes and hideous. watery eyes and hideous yeah. skin and thin lips and, and he's horrified the second he sees him. He flees from the apartment. He's not in a big gothic castle. He just flees from the apartment. He's not on the universal back lot. He <laughs> flees from the apartment. <laughs> and, Third floor. And he, and he stays Room away for a few days. 203. Yeah, from 203. <laughs> Leaves the key, you know. Uh, and he just hopes the monster goes away. I mean, this is a horrible, can you imagine? Yeah, it's you total know, abandonment. A total of a child, basically. Right. You know, that's what right. it was. So, a so baby. this monster is simply looking to understand who he is, what he is, and he's abandoned not only by his God, by his Creator, but by every person that he comes across. Right. All mm-hmm. of humanity. Yeah. Hmm. And he ends up educating himself and um, learning how to speak, and and and, and, um, and he's actually very quite el- quite eloquent in, in the book. So, when he does evil, it's it's lashing out. But right. even at the end of the book, 
he is still trying to get someone to show him compassion and empathy. So what is Mary Shelley, Shelley, Mary Shelley saying in the book? Is she saying that uh, man is, is the real monster, you shouldn't be messing around with, with uh, uh, nature? And I think it's, it's a little bit more than that. It's, it's screwing around with nature, it's going to get you into trouble. Love and compassion is what saves you. Mm -hmm. So does that carry over into all of the other interpretations of the story that we're going to talk about today? Yeah. Right. You know. Actually, one of I think one of the good interpretations of, of that um, is the the TV show Penny Dreadful. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, I've heard about it. Oh, it's, it's a great excellent. show. Yeah, and, and they really uh, portray the monster very close to how you describe Shelley wrote. Really, wrote it. Yeah. Um, he is. It, he is. He's looking for you know. He's he's looking love, for compassion. Love. He's looking yeah. for love and. And he feels rejected and abandoned. I mean, so. And I think I think Kenneth Brogdon did bring that out somewhat. And the most mm -hmm. successful part of his mm -hmm. film was um, Robert De Niro's performance, right? As Definitely. the monster, because he does, right. although he doesn't become as articulate and as as well read right. as Mary Shelley's monster. Uh, he he does look constantly for mm -hmm. you know, affection. Well, in the yeah. in Penny Dreadful, Rory Kinnear plays the monster, and he's. He's excellent. I mean, he's such yeah, a good he's, actor. He's incredible. But he does, he plays it, you know, basically reading poetry is how he learns the English language. Uh -huh. And he's shunned, the, you know, the same way that Mary described in the book. He, he's, the victor shuns him. And, you know, he wants love. He wants a mate. He wants Victor to create a mate for him. And, uh, and constantly threatening Victor. You know, like I will kill. I'll kill everyone you love, basically, until you cre create a a, a, ma a mate for me. Yeah. I mean, and the mate thing yeah. is kind of kind of throughout, aren't they? I mean, it, that's in in the, in in the book. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's kind of yes. throughout most of the versions of it. I mean, the bride, you know, oh, sure. is such a great character and that whole idea of it, and that kind of carries through most of the versions, whether it's on film or in plays or. Yeah. 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 I including, so. you know, which we'll talk about later, Mel Brooks's film, where he, you know he doesn't look for, a, well, he right. does he yeah. does look for a bride at the end, but he he wants a friend. Yeah, he wants yeah. a friend, somebody, oh, right. some some kind of friend. <laughs> the other um, interesting facet of the novel that I have never really seen carried over into other works is the point of view. Right. The um, the entire book, and it's a little convoluted, is essentially told in a series of letters from the captain, Walton, who's trying to discover the Northwest Passage. He's oh, up there okay. near the North Pole. Right. Oh. And he's writing these letters back to <clears throat> his, his uh, wife or his fiance, I forget which. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of them are actual letters that he, you know, includes in the manuscript. And some of them are his recollections of the first person narrative of Dr. Victor von Frankenstein, who has happened upon the ship. So mm. it's, it's, it's hearsay, you know, coming from... Dear, you know, dear, I forget what his fiance's name was, you know, dear, my love, here's what he said today. Right. Elizabeth. Is it Elizabeth? Elizabeth? It wasn't Elizabeth. Yeah. It, it was wasn't. Frankenstein's um, fiance was Elizabeth. His was, I can't remember. Oh, I got you. Right. And then, of course, the monster comes in at the end, and he talks to Frankenstein, he talks to Walton at the end of the book, but oh. Walton re relays that. And in the middle of it, Frankenstein oh, tells yeah. Walton what the monster said to him. So it's all, it's all this first-person narrative thing, but it's all going through Walton. It's a little convoluted. 
Yeah. And uh, it's also just completely unbelievable that this yeah, guy right. wrote this. I can see why nobody picked that up. You know, I mean, it works. Yeah. It works it's on hard print and print. Right. You know, I'm sure she made it. Wrong. But that, that's interesting because um, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula was uh, letters also. I mean, that uh, same yeah. kind the whole of book. I, yeah, I actually, it's, it's all through letters. Wow. Yeah. So I mean, now, that's I, a much I, longer I, book. Yeah. So that's a lot of letter writing, man. No, it went back and forth between the, the women from Mina and, and uh, you know, Lucy. And, oh, interesting. Oh, yeah, but it's all through letters as well. You know, what all, you know, it also is, is done like that. The device is uh, uh, Planet of the Apes, the original novella. Uh, is it Pierre Boulle? Yeah, Pierre Boulle. The, yeah. the original novella is, it starts with a, a couple sort of sailing in space. Hmm. And they, they happen upon a bottle inside which is a manuscript. And they take out the manuscript and they begin to read it. And that's what the rest of the novel is. Well, you know, I've never read that novel. I've, I've yeah. meant to a few times. Oh, it's very good. But yeah. I know it's, it's quite different from, from, from the movies. Completely different. Maybe yeah. we'll talk about that uh, another time. I think we're going to have to do a Planet of the Apes episode. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, hmm. yeah, so in, in almost every other, you know, interpretation of Frankenstein, the, the point of view is going to be uh, victors or the monsters, or it's it's or it's yeah. a, or it's a dear reader point of view. It's it's an, right. it's you know the camera point of view. It's you know we're telling you the story. You know even in Kenneth Brogner's film, we, we see the monster alone, or we see Frankenstein right. alone. It's more you know, of an omniscient yeah. viewpoint, right? Which, I, like you said before, you kind of have to do, right? You have to do. But it was an interesting device that she used. You know? Yeah. So. Um, so that's the book. If you haven't read it, um, there's there's much about it that you won't recognize. I mean, I, I, I've mentioned, um, for those of you who have no idea, I've mentioned Captain Walton. The book begins and ends basically near the North Pole, or somewhat near the Arctic anyway, mm-hmm. um, as the monster is chasing yeah. Frankenstein from one end of the earth to the other. So it's, uh, it's, it's very different, very, very different than uh, any of the films or And the monster, he uh, drifts off on a... Um, ice raft, right? I mean, it's just basically a, a, a it's a, it's an ice flow. Did we forget to say spoiler alert? Yeah, he, yeah, he <laughs> goes, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, uh, he goes off. Yeah. He goes off by himself. Um, yeah, if you haven't read it yet, <laughs> get with it, all right? It's yeah. been almost 200 years. 200 years of spoiler <laughs> alerts. We're done. Yeah. We're done with the spoiler alerts. Read the book. I wonder if that style of writing was common in that era, of, of writing through letters being... You know, as a narrative. Yeah, I, I mean, that's why I was curious that the. That I'm trying to think the, the, of the contemporary. Two, the, two, the two classic horror novels, you know, we're both done that way, we're which is like interesting. That. But yeah. quite a few years apart. But too. Charles Dickens mm-hmm. didn't write like that. Uh, I don't know if Henry James did. And, uh, well, he's a little later, I think. And, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure. Henry James, yeah. Um, the last little bit of um, inspiration that Mary Shelley had with the book were, was her literary upbringing. There's, there's quite a lot of, uh, many references to Paradise Lost, to Hamlet, to some of, to some of Percy Shelley's own prose. She, mm. she refers to some of his writing mm-hmm. oh. in the book. Um, well, and she was, in a rich, from, she was from a rich family, too, so she was actually educated. Yes. Unlike a uh, lot of women yes. at that time were not allowed to, you know, sense. go well, to she, school. She was and, very well read. Right. Well read. So... And, uh, and you had to be. I mean, and to, she, read, to she, write a book like that. Well, plus to hang out with Percy Shelley, you have to. <laughs> oh, you got to. Yeah, you're, hanging out, you're gonna hold your own with Byron and Shelley. Yeah, sure. Sure. you got to read not, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. you got to be <laughs> um, up to speed there. Yeah, and she imbues that with into her characters as well. Both both Frankenstein and the monster. 
uh, are constantly referring to the, you know, Don Quixote, the rhyme of the ancient mariner, and the monster in particular wow. really identifies with characters from Paradise Lost. Right. You know. And then the last little bit, of course, is, you know, her travels. You know, everywhere she yeah. went, she put into the book. So. That's why it's a travelogue. That's why it's a travelogue. <laughs> That's right. 18-year-olds. She was really paying attention. 18-year-olds were very worldly in 18. She must have done the grand tour, you know. Yeah, if, she, you, if, she you, had, if, you, if you had money. If you had money. Yeah. In our next episode, we discuss the very first Frankenstein movie, produced by Thomas Edison. This has been a production of Arcane Theatre Works. You can find us online at arcanetheaterworks.com. Don't forget to check out our other podcast, Theatre of the Mind, Dramatizations of Fantastical Stories. If you enjoy our podcasts and would like to hear more, please support us on Patreon. Special thanks to Alan Zorthian and the Zorthian Ranch. And also to our guest, Phil Joyce. If you'd like to see Phil's artwork, you can find him on Instagram at philjoyceart. I'm Charlie Mount. I'm Jeff Rack. And this has been... Invasion of the Pod People.